From Car Rigs and Ingram Capital Advisors, this is Sellability, the podcast focused on helping business owners prepare, position, and sell their business for maximum value. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us again. This is Paul Levins along with Brandon Maddox and Joel Sykes from CRI Capital Advisors. And we talked about last time, Transition 1, which is recapitalization, dealing with private equity and what some of the possibilities were in that stage. And this time, we're going to talk about the second transition, which is a strategic sale. So let's get right into the information. Brandon, when it comes to a strategic sale, people often think of it, about it being a 100% sale. And what's that really look like? Do you get 100% of the money? Is there any payout versus structure? How long does the owner have to come on, uh, stay on? What are some of the things that you think about and the owners should think about when it comes to this type of deal? Yeah, it's a great question. So, you know, when you're thinking about a strategic sale, um, you know, it can take a lot of the same, um, really same paths that it, that a, a typical private equity sale could take. Um, so just because it's a, it's a strategic buying you uh, or a company that's in your industry buying you doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get all of your cash up front. Um, that is a possibility. Um, and, and that is definitely one path as it is with private equity. Um, typically, you will not get uh, what we would consider to be full value. If you are insisting on getting every single piece of cash up front. Um, so typically there are some structure elements that we see in these deals. And they, like I say, they will probably mirror a lot of what you would see with a private equity deal. Um, so, you know, if, if you're going to sell 100 percent, obviously doesn't mean 100 percent cash up front all the time. So you're going to have something like a seller note or, you know, seller financing. They're going to ask you to to essentially um, wait and help. Um, you know, finance part of that value um, and, and the finance periods on that vary um, fairly widely. But, um, you know, it is a it is a secure piece. It's an obligation uh, that the company has a legal obligation to pay you um, that amount of money. Another one could be an earnout. Um, you know, if the growth trajectory or, you know, performance has not been consistent, if it hasn't been on a on a path of growth for a period of years, that's um, that's slow and steady. Um, maybe you had a breakout year uh, in in the most recent year and prior years maybe, you know, didn't look quite as strong. They may ask um, you to participate in some form of an earnout. They're saying, yeah, we'll, we'll give you full value for that, but only if the current situation, only if the current run rate continues to hold. Um, so they'll ask you to to participate in that way as well uh, in order to get the full value of of the transaction. As far as transition periods go, it, that is going to depend heavily on how involved the ownership is. So if if an owner is still going into the office every day, is still interfacing with clients, is still the primary you know go-to person at the company, which we see quite often, um, then the transition period is likely to be longer. Um, they're going to want that person to stick around and make sure that the customers don't all leave when when the uh, you know the key figurehead of the company. Um, you know, decides to sell the company. Um, if, on the other hand, if an owner is is really a non-working owner and they're, you know, um, on vacation or doing other things, you know, running other businesses, and this is really more of just an investment for them, uh, then in that point, it just becomes more of a financial um, transaction and really maybe not quite as much of a transition period. There's still going to be some just to make sure everything is is um, you know transferred in the most efficient way possible, but maybe not quite as long if um, you know as if an owner was was extremely involved. 
super good insights on that. I think that, you know, owners, as they come in thinking about what's the possibility here compared to last time, I think you're able to see a really good dynamic between, you know, here's what happens on the private equity side. Here's what happens on the strategic side. And you've given us a a lot of great pieces to think about. Certainly those of you who are listening, if you got questions, you can contact us at info at CRIADV.com or visit us online at CRIADV.com. Joel, when it comes to a strategic acquirer, what's really their goal? What are they looking to get out of this deal? Yeah, thanks, Paul. So with a strategic acquirer, the word synergy is kind of the big buzzword. They're looking for companies, generally looking for companies that closely align with what they are already doing as a firm. So occasionally we'll see a strategic acquirer that's really looking to diversify and they may step outside of their own lane. But generally speaking, synergy is a really big deal. So that kind of falls into a couple of different buckets when we talk about synergies. The first one is going to be cost savings. And that's kind of what everyone, not everyone, but it's it's easy to think when you hear the term strategic or corporate acquirer, um, it's easy for your mind to go to cost savings. And, And that's true. So where any acquirer is going to kind of be slow to to upset the apple cart by reducing payroll or making a lot of changes right out of the gate, a strategic acquirer is more likely to consolidate some of what we would call the back office functions. So the finance department, the payroll department, AP, AR, those kinds of things that are largely administrative or financial in nature, those are more likely to be consolidated into the corporate structure than if a private equity or a professional investor acquired the company and really didn't feel the need to consolidate those administrative functions. So cost savings and some consolidation of costs um, are definitely in play when you think about a strategic acquirer. One of the other major buckets, of course, is is growth and alignment. So a strategic acquirer is often going to be looking for Uh, very closely at uh, a target's customer base. And it may be that you have common customers that they are already selling products to, and they can now sell your products or services to those same customers. Or it may be that they've got a really well-developed group of customers, but you have some customers that they've not been able to penetrate. You know, the, the strategic acquirer may be sort of the largest company in, in your space, but you may have picked off some really premium accounts and, and you may be really embedded with those customers so that that strategic acquirer can't get to those customers quite as readily as you did. And so sometimes they're looking to acquire the customers that you've cultivated that they've not been able to get to. Geography is also in play here. You know, we've see, we see firms quite often who have maybe a Midwestern presence in a manufacturing or an industrial sector. And they're looking for a presence in the Southeast just because of availability of labor or the supply chain in the Southeast or, you know, relative proximity to to maybe a port or to interstate access. So there could be a lot of things that go into play in terms of geography, as well as the customers in a different region as well. And we also see strategic acquirers look at product alignment, and that can be, do we sell similar products? Do we manufacture similar products? And do the two companies' processes make sense to kind of join together? Um, and, and 
on the converse of that, does your company make something or provide a service that the strategic acquirer has not yet perfected? And maybe you've done a really great job with a certain manufacturing process, or maybe you have equipment that the, the acquirer doesn't have, or maybe you've perfected and really owned a service that they, for some reason, just haven't been able to quite master as well as you have. So there's all different sorts of alignment there, but I do think for the strategic acquirer, it does kind of come back to just how does your company fit into the current operation? And that's kind of different from a private equity group or a professional investor that's willing to look at an acquisition on a standalone basis. That's some really needed insight on that front because if an owner can can grasp what the advantages are or what they're looking at synergy-wise within their company, maybe it helps them leverage it more than they would have if they didn't have that knowledge at all. Brandon, I know you hear all the time clients who say, look, I don't want to sell to private equity because strategics, I mean, they give you just a lot more money. Can you really get more money with a strategic than private equity or possibly another avenue? Yeah, we do hear that quite often. And, um, you know, it's a possibility. Um, and, and I don't like to, to speak in absolutes um, on any of these things just because, uh, you know, everything is uh, a little bit of a custom affair, to, you know, depending on uh, a lot of different factors. But, um, you know, Joel laid out really well all the all the different ways that, um, you know, it might be a good fit or a good um, synergistic relationship between a buyer and a seller. Um, and to the extent that those things can be realized, to the extent that those things can be defined and understood up front, there is a real possibility that that value um, will increase and a real a real possibility that a strategic would pay more um, than a private equity group. So it's, it's not unheard of for that to happen. Um, but I will say, too, we see a lot of, um, you know, private equity groups that are going out to the market to look for uh, add-on acquisitions for strategic, quote-unquote, strategics that they own that are, you know, part of their holdings. Um, and we really find that to be an interesting situation, too, because you get a little bit of the, you know, a best-of-both-worlds situation. You've got a strategic that's got that, for all the reasons Joel mentioned, they've got a real desire to to roll up and to add additional capabilities, services, geographies, customers to what they're already doing. But you've got the backing of a private equity group, which in a lot of cases is not constrained in the same way financially that maybe a strategic company is. So um, sometimes that combination can can even yield a higher result or a better result. So it's definitely a possibility, um, not something that's going to happen every time. It really is situational and it really depends on the amount of those synergies that a potential buyer can realize. Excellent. Yeah, it's hard to, to be able to pinpoint that. And sometimes we'd love for there just to be this blanket answer that worked for every given situation. But you're right. Every situation is different. And so let's say that the, the transaction happens. Owner sells the company, 100% of it to a strategic. Joel, what's a healthy walk away look like? You know, so many of these guys have dreamed about selling their company for years. All of a sudden it's sold. They may be unsure what to do next. What are some things that you might advise or encourage to think about? You know, that's a great question. And um, we've always sort of taken the approach, the approach here at CRI Capital Advisors is that we're not a high pressure firm. So we're not really the type of firm that kind of 
gets our clients spending the money before they have it. Um, I know that's uh, that's an old, an age old sales tactic, and that's really not something that's in our playbook. But but what is there is helping these owners think through what the next step is and and what this should look like for them. So the top line number and the terms and conditions are certainly critical in any deal, but your involvement in the company moving forward is is a major component of this so how long do you want to stay what role do you want to play do you want to continue to be ceo and have those day-to-day responsibilities or do you want to step back a little bit and, and maybe fill an advisory or a transitionary role and beyond that just what do you want to do now that you you've truly reaped the reward of your success um, businesses that achieve strong valuations obviously have provided uh, significant income for the the owners or the sellers so it's not that uh, you know this is the the huge financial event but in a sense it is so uh, perhaps there is a pent-up demand for travel in your family we often realize that uh, the owner of a business has committed immense time and effort to building a business that has a strong valuation and oftentimes there's a significant other involved that has supported that effort in his or her own way and maybe it's time to travel the world maybe it's time to buy that rv that you've always put off buying because you just didn't feel like you had the time to enjoy it and maybe financially you didn't think you were there either Um, we see a lot of people think through you know, things like, I'm going to take some of these proceeds and invest it in real estate. I'd really like to become sort of an active real estate investor. So we see a lot of different scenarios, but it's good to think through this as, as you go to market and as a transaction begins to materialize. What am I actually going to do after this major event occurs? And there is a psychological effect to this. Oftentimes, a business that has achieved a valuation of whether it's five million or, or fifty million or two hundred and fifty million, oftentimes the, the owners are, are extremely connected to this business. That's why it's been successful. So when you step back from that, what is that going to feel like? How are you going to process? maybe a feeling of a loss of control, um, maybe kind of wondering, okay, well, I, I did that and it's fantastic and it's provided a tremendous financial blessing, but what do I do now? So as you approach the transaction and as transactions begin to come to fruition, we really encourage our clients to think through, what do I want to do? How do I want to spend or invest this money? Um, who deserves to be rewarded for this, whether it's a spouse, a significant other, other employees, whether you have uh, philanthropy in mind, certain charities that you would like to support. You need to take all this into consideration as you look at a transaction, because while the money is probably the, the most critical factor, the transaction has to come off in a way that enables this walk away to really look like you've envisioned. Great insight on that front as well. Those are some of the elements that are difficult to think about ahead of time in an accurate way until you finally experience it. But if you're not planning on it, it can really catch you off guard. Joel and Brandon, thank you again for uh, joining us and sharing your insight for so many years of experience, and it certainly makes a difference. Those of you who are listening, if you have questions, we're more than happy to answer any of those. You can contact us at info at CRI. ADV.com or online, CRIADV 
www.thepowerfulmindset.com. Thanks again for joining us. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sellability. If you want more CRI Capital Advisors insights or are interested in learning more about our firm, please visit our website at criadv.com. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen to your podcasts. If you liked what you heard today, please leave us a review. The views expressed on sellability are those of the presenter and moderator and do not necessarily reflect the views of Carr, Riggs, and Ingram. This podcast is intended for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended as personal investment, tax, legal accounting advice, or as a solicitation or recommendation. This is not investment research. Consult with your CRI Capital Advisors advisor or other trusted professional should you have questions regarding your specific situation. CRI Capital Advisors is a registered broker-dealer with the Securities Exchange Commission and a member of FINRA and the SIPC.